This episode of Saturday Morning Rewind is brought to you by Voice Chasers. Find out more about the voice actor you hear on this episode at voicechasers.com. Voice Chasers, celebrating the art of voice acting since 1996. Welcome to Saturday Morning Rewind. A show dedicated to the love of animation and feeling like a kid again. So let's go back in time to when cats defended Third Earth. Sword of Omens, give me sight beyond sight. A masked duck protected the streets of St. Canard. I am the terror that flaps in the night. And knowing was half the battle. Yo, Joe! Let's go back with Saturday Morning Rewind and your host, Tim Nidell. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Saturday Morning Rewind, the show that takes you back to your childhood one interview at a time. First off, I want to wish every one of you a happy new year. Welcome to 2018. Hopefully, it's an excellent year for every one of you. And for our very first interview of the year, we have the super talented Kat Cressida on the show today. Kat has done so many amazing things during her career. From 1997 to 2003, she was a voice of Dee Dee from Dexter's Laboratory. I won't bug you anymore. But Dexter, if I was your mother, I would be very hurt to know that my own son couldn't be honest with me. And one of my all-time favorites, she's the voice of Constance, also known as the Black Widow Bride, from Disney's Haunted Mansion, from Disneyland and Disney World. She's also the voice behind ESPN's Pardon the Interruption. She is one of the best celebrity voice matchers. She's voice matched for Jennifer Lopez, Julia Roberts, Miley Cyrus, Jodie Foster, Amy Adams, Angelina Jolie, and of course, Joan Cusack, because Kat is also the voice of Jessie from Toy Story when Joan Cusack is not available. But Kat has done so many amazing things. Make sure to check out her website. It's at catcressida.com and check out her whole resume. And also make sure to check her out this coming weekend, January 7th in LA. She'll be at LA's Comic Book and Science Fiction Convention. And also make sure to check out our website, SaturdayMorningRewind.com. Check out our YouTube channel. Make sure to subscribe to that. Check out our Patreon campaign to help us out financially. And make sure to keep those positive iTunes ratings coming in. But anyways, I think you guys are really going to love this interview with Kat. We have a great time chatting with each other. I love talking to her about her time at Disney, her time on Dexter's Laboratory, her voice matching. And we'd start off the interview with her story about talking about recently judging for Miss California USA. So here it is, my interview with Kat Cressida. Before we start talking about your whole big career in voiceover and everything like that, I understand you had a quite an interesting week last week. Do you care to share about that? Yeah, that was, uh, I mean, like, like I said, that would be like a reality show in and of itself. Just, you know, what do you get when you put two Olympic gold medalists, one for swimming, one for ice dancing, uh, a UN uh, peace negotiator, a American Idol rock star winner, (laughs) 
a newscaster, a sportscaster, and a voice talent together in one room battling it out for three days over who should be the new Miss USA. It was hilarious. <laughs> I mean, what is that process like? I mean, I've never it's been... It's weird. Yeah. It's trippy, and it's it's almost like the caricature of what... I mean, when they pitched it to me and asked if I would be interested in being a judge, the gal who runs it, who's awesome, um, it's like her, her franchise along with... Um, a couple of other pageants for the for the Miss California segment of it. It was described to me as, you know, you're giving up, you're going to give up your life for three days, so be prepared for that. But we'll we'll take complete care of you, all your meals, your hotel. It's a very nice hotel, all your rides. You know, it's very well produced, um, just like being on a movie set. And you're going to become best new best friends with your seven <laughs> other judges. Uh-huh. It's kind of like adult day camp. And it's so funny because whenever we had to go in, I mean, you kind of roll your eyes, you go, yeah, yeah, adult day camp. I'm sure we're not going to be roasting s'mores over an open fire at the end of the day. Yeah. But literally, whenever we had to go somewhere outside of the green room, which was the judge sort of um, private sector, which was completely guarded and no one could go in or out without the badge and the, the proper credentials, we had to get in line in order of our judge numbers. So I was judge number three. (laughs) And I always had to stand behind judge number two. And I was like, it's kindergarten <laughs> it all is. over again. It so is. My, 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 my girl who's in kindergarten does the same thing to get on her bus. I, and I, I was the only one who found it hilarious. Like, people would just do it. And I would be like, oh, here I am, number three. Don't want to get out of order. Number three, I'm here, I'm here. <laughs> and, I mean, it was hilarious. And they do it, you know, they do it for all of the reasons that you would hope. For something where you know the results really matter, it's going to yeah. change yeah. several people's lives. Uh, no matter what one thinks about these pageants, um, I actually—I mean, I—I I got quite an education. I certainly—I was the naysayer and the um, black sheep of the crowd for sure because really? I, from beginning to end, still felt like, why? If the emphasis on finding an extraordinary woman to represent our country against Miss, you know, because the ultimate person will go to Miss Universe. Yeah. Um, Miss California will hopefully become Miss USA, who then will go to Miss Universe representing our country. So they put a huge emphasis uh, versus Miss America on a woman who sort of embodies everything you could hope for in the modern woman. Um, you know, ethic, ethics, what their focus is career-wise, intelligence, everything. You know, warmth, obviously appearances, some of it, in theory, mm-hmm. and um, kind of like Wonder Woman, you know, the, the absolute perfect everything embodiment. And yet, we're still doing bikini competitions. Yeah. So... I, the whole three days, kept going, yeah, but we're still forcing them to get into a bikini. And I don't see how that's relevant. And there was a whole discussion about fitness, you know, and they're going to be representing America. So, unfortunately, you know, looks are still very much, I don't know. So, I I definitely, I served my purpose in that I was on the other end of the spectrum going into it. Um, and remained on that end of the spectrum, and it was nicely balanced between personalities. And have I answered your question? Of course. No, I love I love hearing about it. Oh, thank you. It was so exciting and weird and different. We were just in this bubble 
for three days, and it it wasn't a lie. I mean, they became your new best friends. They weren't allowed to interact with family or, um, you know, boyfriends, girlfriends, or anything like that. After hours, of course, you went back to your hotel room, and you could certainly call people. Mm -hmm. But in terms of hanging out, you were 100% either um, given, you know, 45 minutes to an hour and a half of maybe some free time, again, just like camp. But you were expected back at a certain time and absolutely had to be there. And all the meals were together. And and as I was joking with you, for some reason, I I don't know. I hope none of them are going to end up listening to this because they would probably be rolling their eyes and, you know, totally <laughs> laughing their butts off at the accuracy and also the audacity of what I'm – but right from the get, everybody kind of got that I was going to be the person who was no holds barred going to say what I was thinking. You know, and they kept saying no filters, no filters. But trust yeah. me, there were plenty of filters up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there were definitely things I wasn't saying. <laughs> um, but that I was the sarcastic one, that I would come back with the witty remark, that after a girl left, I would be the person who might point out the thing that maybe nobody else was going to be pointing out. Yeah. So, for example, the the girls would list things on their resume and and we played this round it was a game that was literally like a, a parlor game where you go down the line of judges and we get two minutes to ask them as many questions as we can kind of like a firing round so th- basically the first judge asked the question as soon as the girl has finished a- answering that question if there's still time in the two minutes the next judge goes so you have to be ready with your questions and you're so you're constantly referencing their their resumes uh-huh. And so I would be the one who, if someone had listed something on their resume and there was clearly a discrepancy in something else they said, would be the one to sort of, you know, have fun calling them on it just because <laughs> you're in that room for, I mean, we were, oh my God, like 12 hours, wow. you know, just girl after girl after girl. And um, the two guys, Ken and... Um, <laughs> I thought I'd turn my phone off. Well, now you know what my phone ring sounds. It's very lovely. It's chimes. <laughs> um, Ken, who is the the UN ambassador, the, the dude who gets sent in to de-escalate violence. Um, okay. He's got this amazing job where, you know, basically he gets sent in or, and gets flown around the world to de-escalate riots and other things. And he started out kind of doing other things like music and poetry and rapping, but somehow this has become his day job, which is flying around the world, um, helping to uh, create peaceable solutions Hmm. to insane situations. Um, Sounds incredibly cool and dangerous and Batman-esque. Yeah. And and he's the nicest guy in the world. Um, He, you know, he's got a funny sense of humor. And then we had Stefani, who was the American Idol winner from season 10 who's just like a huge rock star and Mm -hmm. you know girls would always scream whenever he walked by and and he's adorable and he would make funny comments as well so it was just it was a great weekend and I learned so much about these amazing other people there was newscasters like I said there was this (laughs) the gold the gold medalist in swimming um Jen just an amazing woman so young. I mean, she's like married, about to have her first kid. And to her, the Olympics were like forever ago. It was just like three years ago. But mm-hmm. for her, in her life, it was just like such a long time ago. And these people were so astonishingly cool and humble and real. And all of them were treating me like I was the biggest rock star in the world. 
And I felt completely humbled to be in a room with them because, I mean, I'm sorry, booking a voiceover gig compared to winning an American Olympic gold medal several times. Yeah, there's a difference there, huh? I don't think there's any comp, right? But they felt like I was being so like humble and modest that I thought they were amazing. So it that was a really interesting, you know, flip the lens thing. And I, I just found that really adorable and humorous and lovely that there was that perception. And I just felt like saying to all of them, and I did several times, you guys are out there living like amazing lives that I like, what is that? What is that like to win an American gold medal? No kidding. Can you imagine? No. I hope I'm not coming off like a complete ass to your listeners. I just find it astonishing always that people have different perceptions and I can't imagine what it's like to fly into a major riot, you know, in some foreign country where you don't speak the languages and your job is to create peace between the two countries. Yeah, that's whose brain I want to pick right there. Right? That's amazing. Yeah, no and, kidding. And, and who hasn't wondered what it's like to stand up on the American Idol stage and have Jennifer Lopez and whomever else is the <laughs> judge at the moment telling you that, you know, they're crying saying, you know, you made my life. Yeah. Uh, I think there's like a video of her reaching out and holding his hand and just saying it doesn't get any better than this. I mean, what a rock star moment. So I haven't lived any of those lives. I would love to swap. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, end of that story. But it was thank you for asking. Yeah. No, I love that. That's a great, great story. Great life experience sounds like, too. Yes. Oh, and I was the only vegetarian, which made me be treated. it, It made Everybody was always like on pins and needles about what there might be at the meal that I might enjoy. Oh, we've got salad and there's a side <laughs> of rice. And I'd be like, all I'm thinking is I'm going to sneak out of here and get like, you know, a McDonald's filet of fish or something after all this is done because <laughs> <laughs> I'm so undernourished at this point oh, from the lack man. of protein. Wow. <laughs> so, Kat, tell me about yourself. What gave you the acting bug when you were little? I'm assuming maybe it came when you were little. Is that true? Um, well, I'm sorry, Tim, but our time is now up, so all you get is the story of the Miss U.S. <laughs> yep, that sounds about right. <laughs> oh, my God, I'm punchy, and it's only Monday. Yeah, no kidding. Um, so what gave me the acting bug? I wish I had the answer to that. I I can honestly say probably, as is true with a lot of folk who genuinely gravitated to theater, it just was in me, and no one in my family understood it. Uh, or necessarily supported it. it certainly never my mother very proudly would declare at times of great frustration you certainly didn't get this from me yeah so um nobody in my family was in entertainment directly or um had any um didn't expose me to it when i when i lived in new york for a while my grandmother loved broadway theater I was already a huge theater addict, which is why she would bring me, but it certainly encouraged it to be a youngster seeing amazing live Broadway theater, you know, a couple of times a month yeah. at least. But I don't know. I, I just know that at the age of three, there's vibrant memories of sitting uh, on a little tiny wooden footstool with a giant Disney golden book reading out loud, oh. this, you know, Pinocchio with my dad while he was shaving saying, and then what did Pinocchio do? Wow. And then what did Jimmy say? And and acting out the uh, the different characters, that was like at age three. And then I know by age five, I was knocking on neighbors' doors with hand drawn crayon programs, 
demanding that they show up for a 10 cent performance of Peter Pan or Pinocchio or Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> and, and apparently people showed up, which is astonishing. Yeah, to me. that is surprising. Uh, I don't think anybody knows where that came from. I, I don't. <laughs> I don't know why I had either the where that notion came from or why I had the courage to do that, because that's kind of extraordinary. I think if I knew a five-year-old who was doing that, I'd think, wow, they've got cojones. Yeah, no, yeah. That's, that's, huge. So, that's huge. And then it became a bargaining, it became a bargaining conversation. Um, I, I actually just had the honor of speaking to the Disneyland cast, cast member conservatory, which is sort of like their version of the hasty puddings club that uh, is it Yale or Harvard that has that elite club where there where celebrities come back and are honorary. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, you, you go, I was a cast member of course in, in, uh, college, you know, putting myself through college, worked at the park and, um, I had the honor of being invited back to speak to current alum and current cast members about how to make it, you know, try to break into Hollywood. And, um, it, I was just joking with them that it was an ongoing bargaining uh, tool that my mother could use to keep me a straight A student because in order for me to go to rehearsals or to indulge in anything that had to do with theater, I had to get straight A's. I wow. had to keep my grades up. All the way through college huh. <laughs> was the deal. Huh. would pay for college if I kept my GPA up and um, if I wanted to do theater, fine, but it I only got four years up at Berkeley and I only got, you know, I had to do it with a 3.5 GPA minimum or else I had to stop all the acting. So it was always kind of a ongoing fight to the finish. So you said you worked in the park. What area did you work at at that age? Um, I was very lucky uh, to be, I was, a, I guess you would call it a tour guide on Storybook Land. Um, oh. which technically I like to joke was my first voiceover job because I had a microphone. True. You skippered the little boat, but you had to tell the spiel that was memorized. And I was the, the bad girl who always improved off of it because I actually knew a lot of behind the scenes of Disney stuff or yeah. why the statue of Peter Pan is there in Kensington garden. You know, I would, I would go into things and then I would get written up with a pink slip. That I wasn't oh, wow. But I'm sure I'm, I think it probably made it a lot more entertaining for the guests. Yeah, no, for sure. Especially if someone like me who goes all the time, it's nice to hear it change, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so we were sort of the cheerleaders of the park. We had our cute little culotte skirts and our hair and little bows. And it's changed a lot. I mean, now, back then, if I could have, I would have been on Jungle Cruise because that was the sarcastic, fun, yep, yep. funny thing and shooting guns and... I did ask to be on it, but at that point, they weren't enlightened enough to yet have females oh. captaining the boats. And now they've got guys on storybook land. So, yep. But back then, that summer, um, those summers, I was, we were still in that, that regime. Tell me about your first break into the voiceover. Would that have been maybe Dexter's Lab? Is that your first big break in, into the field of voiceover? Yeah, I think, I think that would be accurate. I had booked a couple of small, now this will age me significantly, CD-ROM games. Oh, yeah. I remember those. Yeah. Yep. Um, I, I think they went out literally this, I, I had my first job during the summer, and I think by fall we were merging into video games. But yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I'm trying to remember the order of appearance, but I'm pretty sure first gig was that, 
like doing an, a fighter pilot for one of those games. And then almost within, I want to say, a month of signing with this small agency, I got handed a cassette tape. <laughs> there you go, aging a cassette yep, tape yep. with a character on it. And I was told, see... Why don't you go outside to your car for a little for a little while and see if you think you can match it and we'll lay down an audition if you think you can. And I was too young and new and naive to have done what I would have done now, which is to say, well, can I have tonight to work on it? Because I always try for matches to spend some time with it. Yeah. But I didn't know enough. So I just went down in my little car, my little Corolla popped the cassette tape into the into my little cassette player. And I heard this voice and just. Yeah, matched it in my car, traipsed back up the stairs into the recording studio, said, I think I'm ready to go, did it, agent seemed pleased, and then I think a week later, I was told that I was going in for a callback, um, and I and I did, and then the week at, maybe the week after that, it all kind of happened fairly quickly. It wasn't like weeks and weeks and weeks. Um, I was told that I was being tested out on the show. Now, bear in mind, this is before, so this is before celebrity, all the celebrities are doing animation. Mm -hmm. This is like 97, 98. Um, Cartoon Network is pretty new. It was brand spanking new. It was out of the Hanna-Barbera building um, on Cahuenga, right near Universal City. What used to be the Hanna-Barbera building and, you know, Cartoon Network had this deal with Hanna-Barbera, so that's where it was sort of headquartered. Um, the director, the creator, Gendy, was brand new. Of course, De Dexter's Laboratory was his thesis project at CalArts. Wow. So he's new to doing what he's doing, which is directing voiceover talent. And and I've never professionally voiced animation at a microphone before in my life. Well, and seriously. I'm doing a voice match. Wow. And I walk into a room... That's filled with now. Granted, I didn't know who these people were. Yeah. I'm going to name the names, and you you have the reaction that you think is appropriate. <laughs> Jeff Bennett, Frank Welker, Tom Kenny, Kath Suisse, Chris Cavanaugh, and Rob Paulson. Oh my God! Wow. <laughs> oh, and Charlie Adler. Oh man. So, um, yeah, and I'm a, and we're all standing around. We're in like basically a, a formation. Uh, two, two or three mics on each side of the wall, and the fourth wall is is the glass for the recording booth. And I don't even know proper mic technique, let alone ha having ever done anything like this. And these are all the rock, the rock stars. They are. They are. Of animation. They were then. <laughs> they still are. And um, and God, you know, God rest her soul, Chris Cavanaugh, who yeah. was who was amazingly generous and lovely and supportive and kind to me. She. Um, definitely took great pains to help me feel somewhat, you know, figure stuff out on breaks or whatnot. Oh, nice. But it was quite an, quite an experience. And I'm so lucky, of course, you know, uh, I'm sure to anybody who's always wanted to do something like this, it sounds like, you know, what's to complain about. But, oh, my goodness. Oh, my God. I just got an email from the <laughs> From the Miss USA, thank, dear judges. I just want to reach out, and I'm not going to read that right now. But <laughs> there you go. It's still ongoing. Um, it was terrifying, and I was 
so nervous and and it was a voice match and I was again too new to it to really understand all of the um finesses that now I understand about voice matching something mm-hmm. there's a lot of like I was rigidly stuck to the voice match because that's what had won me this trial booking and I didn't want to go anywhere off of it ah yes but- but Gendy very quickly was clearly trying to massage it to a slightly different place. He was trying to change the sound somewhat or, or play with it or see. We were only on like um, show three or four of the first season. Mm-hmm. So he was still figuring out the character and figuring out, you know, he's still as is his right. As every show grows, you know, you see the pilot of a show and then you see what it became several years later, like The Simpsons. You know, of course, it's going to grow oh, and yeah. change. So he was trying to do that with Didi, and I was so afraid to go anywhere off of the match because that's what had got me in the room in the first place. And they did this thing where, for whatever reason, they they wouldn't tell me that I booked it. They just kept saying, "Well, we're just going to keep seeing how you do." So it always felt like every from week to week, I never knew. And I desperately wanted to keep it, of course. What an amazing opportunity! to end up um, booking a, a lead on an amazing show on this brand new Cartoon Network thingamajiggy. And then eventually, as you know, as I started to make my way to more auditions or started to, there was no internet back then, mm-hmm. so I couldn't Google who all these people were. Um, that would have probably solved things in about a heartbeat. You know, <laughs> I would know exactly who they were and yep. what they'd done. But to me, they were just human beings in a room who were phenomenally gifted and far more confident and experienced than me. So little by little, I began to learn who they were, uh, which only lent to my trepidation and nerves. And yeah, that was that was definitely my big break. And if I had a choice, like if if you none of us do, but if I had any sort of ability to go back in time or to change how it all went down. And I say this without wanting it to come out wrong, but I've said it before. I wish to God it had come much later in my career hmm. or a little later mm-hmm. or, or that, um, yeah, that, that it wasn't my first big break because I was so ill-equipped that makes to, sense. Yeah. to make the most of it and really enjoy it and really, uh, all I can say is thank God on a couple of points. Thank God my my natural um, affinity and love for voice matching kind of at least kept me staying completely on match or at least as close to the match as, as they wanted. Um, I didn't drop the match, um, which I think, you know, with nerves and everything else going on could have easily happened yep. with so little experience at yep. the microphone. So thank God that, yay. Thank God the character evolved through Gendy's you know, in ingenuity and creativeness and all that into the character it evolved into. Um, and, and I can't really take credit for it because he was very strong and clear on what he wanted. Each beat, each line, he had a vision for the show that was like, you know, he was seeing those storyboards and hearing the timing of the line. He, he could hear all of it and see all of it in his mind. So in that sense, it was sort of this interesting, um, I don't know what the right term is, but I want to put it the right w- way because, of course, it was all a blessing. But it was an interesting line to walk because, on the one hand, he would tell me exactly what he wanted so that he would be happy, mm-hmm. which is awesome. You don't always get that from a director yeah. or producer. 
On the other hand, being so new, I had it gave me very little room to play with or figure out for myself any sense of uh, confidence in what I was what I might be able to do with it. Um, not that I should have. It was totally his role. But again, had I had it come later on with me having more experience, I would have been able to relax and go, okay, this is what the creator wants. It doesn't mean that what I'm doing is wrong or bad. It just means that this is what he clearly wants to get the joke and it's his show. But you take things so literally when you're young. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I just turned 25. And again, it was it was a brand new world. So uh, I like to tell that story to put people at ease that a the things that seem like to the outside world are the coolest, most amazing, lucky, fortunate things in the world. There's a double edged sword sometimes to it that you don't see or hear about. So that's that must you know, it's a humanizing thing that I think is nice to hear. And also that, um, you know, thankfully, I'm still here. (laughs) (laughs) So despite a lot of mistakes, like oodles of mistakes and screw ups and not understanding and not getting it and and needing to learn some valuable lessons, at least there's still a way through it if you're passionate about it and you're willing to learn and and trying to learn. So it's an interesting story. Tell me about Dee Dee herself. Tell me about voicing Dee Dee. Um, So I did most of season one because, again, we sort of took over three or four I think it was third show that I took over a fourth show that I that I came in then I did second season then she came back for a good part of the third season because Gendy came back and wanted to experiment with trying out the you know the initial sound of Didi for whatever reason that was his creative um, prerogative and then Cartoon Network made the decision for season four to bring me back as the Sort of, they were calling it the classic Didi sound, the Didi that everybody sort of knows and, and mm-hmm. has become the Didi sound, and then the fifth season. So, um, and then ever after that, you know, every video game or theme park show or what whatnot, it's been it's been me. But she does her original sound was very different, and that's the one that I, again I was so fiercely fighting to hang on to, while Gendy was experimenting with pushing her into sort of wackier, more. I always describe her as Alice in Wonderland on crack. <laughs> you know, hugely curious, yep. blonde, yep. blue eyes, um, innocent, but, you know, t- a total whack job uh, and hyper. So he was pushing her in sort of that manic direction, and I was still trying to hang on to the sort of the loopy, sweet, hippie. The original Didi had a very hippie quality to her, very, very almost laid back loopy almost like she was sort of stoned mm-hmm. i can see that kind of the opposite mm-hmm. in energy and like i said i'm just so lucky that it i i hung in there they hung in there with me and it became a great first huge learning curve and lesson and then i kind of knew the standard had been now now at least in the room with these geniuses I knew what the expectation was if I was going to last. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've never, of course, I will never reach those. I mean, Kath Susay and Chris Cavanaugh and Jeff and Rob and Tom and Charlie and Frank are beyond gifted at the Robin Williams level of talent and ability to, I hope I'm not forgetting anybody of the regular cast, but I will never reach that level. They're just insanely gifted, but it certainly gave me something to aim for 
and to understand was sort of the gold standard if I was going to ever work again. So after voice matching Dee Dee for uh, Dexter's Lab, who else did you go on to voice match after that? Well, probably about six months after um, Dexter's Laboratory was sort of solidified and they sort of, you know, finally said, yes, you're, you're the voice moving forward and we're just going to keep going on with this. I had the opportunity to get booked on. I, I'd actually laid down a rough animation demo. I finally felt like I wanted to lay down an, an animation reel. And I loved, I was obsessed with Princess Leia from the original, you know, the original trilogy mm -hmm. that I grew up with. Yep. With Carrie Fisher. So we laid down um, basically that as part of my demo, a voice match of me doing Princess Leia. And that made it into the hands through one of my agents to the, a producer or casting director at LucasArts who then just booked me um, to do Princess Leia on a number of early LucasArts games. I would say circa 1998, 99, 2000, I would wow. guess. This is, of course, before the, the Clone Wars and all of that. So okay. it was still very much in that original universe. So that was really cool. Um, I, I obsessed on nailing that. I didn't I did not give myself a moment's peace on listening over and over and over again to every inflection and everything she did. And um uh I it just felt like I owed it to the universe or her or I know Lucas somebody that it sound as completely on as possible. So that was a cool experience. And then shortly Maybe a year after that, maybe two years. I may be contracting time just because that's what you do when you get older. But <laughs> I feel like it was just a, a year or so after that, they needed um, Je Jesse to sing and yodel. And Joan Cusack wasn't either wasn't available or I, I don't recall what the circumstances were, mm. but they were recording Woody's Roundup for Disneyland. Disney parks. You remember they used to have that live show. Yep. Yep. Golden Horseshoe. Mm -hmm. So that first it started out with do the song, learn the song, which was Jesse the yodeling cowgirl, and learn how to yodel and learn how to yeehaw, um, or copy her yeehaw. So that was the first gig was singing as her, and then it became more and more um, whenever Joan wasn't available, voice matching her for ice shows or live shows or video games. So, and of course she still is the amazing, awesome, you know, Jessie the cowgirl. It's her, it's her voice. It's her character. It's 100% her. Um, I'm just lucky enough to match her whenever she might not be available to do something. Did you do the voice for uh, the uh, Toy Story Mania in California Adventure? Okay. I did. Um, I think, and I think she'd already recorded some of the lines, but then... Either the show became more than what it was. I, I remember it was like just about to open and we went in and did more recordings of it because they added to it or changed lines or something like that. You know, the, these attractions and their scripts evolve as they're being developed, just like video games and animation. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if some of it's her and some of it's me. <laughs> um, and I don't know over the years what has remained. Um Sometimes I've seen video games. There's a video game. What's the really popular one? Uh, Disney uh, Affinity. No, no. The one that's... I think it's a little more recent than, than that. It's not Disney Infinity. Okay. What's the, I get them all kind of mixed yeah. up. But 
There was another one that um, I remember someone sending me a clip of different parts of it, and I was like, oh, that's Joan, and that's me. Wow. They were both on it. Maybe they did an update or something where I came back and and did more lines. So that happens sometimes, which makes it even more like on me to make sure I'm getting as close as possible because if I'm up against the one and only – uh, it's, you know, you want to try and make that as seamless as possible for the, the people enjoying the audience. Have you ever been approached by somebody you've voice matched knowing that you've voice matched them in something? No, but I have a funny story about that involves a certain Charlie's angel, Ooh. <laughs> famous Charlie's angel. <laughs> yes, please. Um, I was brought in for the day to, I'm sure your listeners know what looping is, what ADR is. Mm-hmm. So um, I was brought in to voice match a very famous Charlie's Angel uh, for a video game. And we had just started the session. And all of a sudden, the energy in the room completely shifted. And everybody from the booth comes out onto the stage. And the director comes out. And there's there's conferring and whispering. And I'm, you know, insecure voice talent that I am. Like I'm sure a lot, you know, I'm like, oh my God, I must suck. They must be so upset with me that I'm not nailing this match that they're trying to figure out whether they can fire me. You know, I was, that's what it seemed like because the moment we started, people were flying out of the booth and upset. Hmm. And, um, about two minutes after the initial conferring going on in the dark corners of the soundstage, I think the production, someone approaches me maybe the loop leader, I don't know, and says, we're going to need you to step out, but we don't want you to leave. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, did I do something wrong? No, 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 you're doing fine. We just, uh, we have a situation and, uh, you know, we're just, you're, you're, you're paid, you're obviously, you're being paid your SAG contract. We just need you to step outside. Someone's going to take you outside of the soundstage behind it. Wow. And, you know, we'll get you a sandwich or a burger or something, but we're just going to need you to hang out for a while. <laughs> and what it was was that the celebrity showed up to do her own. <laughs> and I don't know what the circumstance, I don't know to this day what the circumstances were, why. Maybe they said they weren't available and then changed their mind. Wow. Who knows what the situation was. All I know was that um, they didn't want me to go through the front. They didn't want the celebrity to run into me. And to have any questions about what I was doing there. Not that they would have recognized me from Adam, but they, they just didn't want me anywhere around. Mm-hmm. And so I had to wait outside for about an hour or so. And then they brought me back in and then we continued on. Who knows? I mean, I, I don't I, I still don't know. I still don't know to this day what what actually happened or what the celebrity laid down or what I laid down. Hmm. Oftentimes you don't find that out. You're just you're hired. You do your job, and then it's hard to know once the project comes out how much of what you did was used and wasn't used. So, but that's that's the closest I ever got to wow. a celebrity <laughs> that I've matched, and it wasn't a joyous experience. And I also once John Cusack was in the office next to me. Okay. And I'm a huge fan of his. Oh, of course. So I would have wanted to meet him anyway, but I kept thinking it would be so funny to like, you know. Not that it was going to happen in a million years. It was my little fantasy moment. But, you know, oh, John, such a pleasure to meet you. I really enjoy matching your sister. But <laughs> never in a million years would that happen, or nor would I have the audacity to say something that stupid. 
but um, I'm such a huge fan of both of them that it was kind of cool knowing he was in the room next to me. Yeah, it's amazing. But huge honor to match Jesse. She's just what she does with that character. I think is brill. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, it's it's my kid's favorite out of the whole series. Aw. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's such great voices in the whole series. I mean, Woody. You know, how do you top Woody? He's pretty amazing. Exactly. I guess Jesse. I don't know. Let's talk more about your voice matching. That's something that really intrigues me. Honestly, I was going over some of the people that you voice matched, like Angelina Jolie. Anne Hathaway, Jodie Foster. Like, tell me about this process. Where did you voice match these people for? Was it like during a movie, commercial, stuff like that? All of the above. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I, I finally gave up on updating my voice. <laughs> my web person keeps getting on me saying, we have to update this eventually. But it's, um, I finally put together a demo about three years ago and now that's grossly outdated of course because you just kind of keep hopefully adding to it but I I unconsciously without any knowledge whatsoever started voice matching when I was a kid mostly because I loved um, I was naturally drawn to sound I was bringing a little tape recorder to Disneyland to record the sounds of the park to record the dialogue in the park Uh, I mean it's it's astonishing to me looking back on that because how how does like any anything that that a kid picks up on and suddenly becomes obsessed with, and you look at them and you go, "How? Why? <laughs> why does that one want to be a dancer? Yeah, why is that yeah. one a nuclear physicist?" But for whatever reason, I had a predilection to sound and sound design. And my father, of course, who had worked with Imagineering, everybody who follows my feed certainly knows this about me, would bring me to the park quite often and point th- these things out to me as well. So I'm sure that was part of it. Something about storytelling, again, you know, reading those books out loud to my dad when I was three, something about storytelling and communicating emotion and doing it with just your voice has always and will forever be my first and foremost passion and giant question mark over my head. I find it fascinating. Why does this sound mean this? And why does that sound equal that? And Hmm. there was a great article. There was a great article. I can't remember where I read it, but how... What defines sexiness in a female voice has changed over the years. How during the 30s and 40s and 50s, a high, airy, you know, um, ditz, sort of ditzy, higher pitched voice was considered the ultimate in sex, sexy, mm-hmm. right? Betty Boop, Marilyn Monroe, yep. all of them. That was that was the pinnacle of sexiness for a female sound. Now. It's almost the complete, you know, Jessica Rabbit. She's on the opposite end of the spectrum, as deep and as husky and as damaged a, a sound as you can get. And that's considered sexy. So I find the sociology behind that really fascinating as well. Anyway, so I was a weird kid and I <laughs> was really into it. So I was always imitating things just, I guess, to see how it felt. I think that was really it. Like, okay, I'm going to say that back to see where in my mouth it is or where in my throat it is or how it sounds coming out of me or if I can get anywhere close to it. More as a curiosity, I won't say a game, but more as just intriguing to see if I could mimic it back. That's kind of, I would say, where it probably the seeds of it were. And then if you go into, anybody who's ever been in musical comedy knows, uh, as you're, when you're a kid and you're auditioning for anything in musical theater, What's the first thing that you go to to learn your audition? It's a question. It's a hmm. pop quiz. 
especially back in the days before there was internet. <laughs> Can't say YouTube. Yeah, no. What, huh. what would be the first thing you'd go to if you were 10 years old and you're auditioning for Anything Goes or Fiddler on the Roof? or? Well, I would watch those if I had those accessible to me. But I'm saying this is, we're back in my childhood when yeah. before VHRs. And <laughs> <laughs> That's so long ago, though, Kat. I can't do that. This is during the 70s. <laughs> late 70s, before VHS. So you would go to the, the original cast album. Okay. That, that's all you had. Yep. Or an 8-track tape, yeah. which, which was really my childhood, was 8-track tapes. So you would go back to those, and you would listen to the original Broadway star doing those songs. That's how you would learn it, because you were too young to know sheet music, right? You would mm -hmm. just simply, okay, I'm auditioning for Grease. Well, then you'd go get the, the original Broadway recording of the original cast you know, on Broadway for Grease. And that's how you would learn. So as a kid, nobody's standing next to you going, you know, you can make that role your own. <laughs> you just naturally think, oh, the way I'm going to book Rizzo is to sound exactly like the girl on the record. Yeah. And I think kids still do that. You know, they're, I, don't think they're, I don't think they go in at the age of 10 going, I'm going to come up with a brand new Reno Sweeney for anything yep, goes. I exactly. think they're just trying their best to do what they've heard. Or Adelaide from Guys and Dolls, you know. I'm, a million girls across the country are all going, in other words, you know, they're just basically imitating the original awesome Adelaide. <laughs> um, so, try, what are they like? Wedding is on or off, a person can develop a cough, right? So oh, that's the original. Great. Yep. And the little, little shop of horrors imitating Audrey. So I can go on and on, but that was sort of the beginning, beginnings of learning how to match something without even thinking that your voice matching. You're just going, oh, I'm trying to learn the right voice for it. Then fast forward, you know, 15 years and suddenly I'm in an amazing class learning the basics of voice matching and my brain is going, oh, I kind of have already been doing this. <laughs> I've already been sort of obsessing on voices my whole life. Now I'm just going to apply it to, you know, a new script and see if I can hold the match on lines that that person never said before, which is a new way to think of it. Mm -hmm. You know, okay, it's, it's easy. And when I teach voice matching, I say the same thing. It's easy enough to, um, not easy enough, but it's one thing to match the voice word for word, beat for beat to the song that you've already heard a million times and know by heart. Yeah. Or to the script you've already, the Disney movie that you've seen a bazillion times, so now I'm just going to do what Wendy Darling does because I've heard her say those exact same lines a bazillion times. It's another to go, okay, brand new script. Now you're teaching kids how to you know, read time, and the script will have nothing to do with the original Peter Pan, and the lines may not even be written exactly the way Wendy Darling would say those lines, but sound exactly like Wendy Darling. And then you have to get really creative and figure out all the isms that make that voice that voice and try to apply them to a new script. So there, I would say in a nutshell, but they're in a five-minute explanation. <laughs> How I got into voice matching. Oh, my goodness. You're just – there's something about you, Tim. You're just so zen. I'm just – I'm going on. We Body can, of the mouth. We can make this a five-hour interview. I'm fine with that. Yay. Yes. <laughs> that so fascinating to your, your fans out there. I'm sure they – have nothing better to do with their five hours. <laughs> so I, I love how you 
were obsessed with Disneyland as a kid, and now here you are, hopefully in the parks forever, you know, with, <laughs> with the Haunted Mansion. What is that like for you? Does it just, like, blow your mind that you are a voice in Disneyland? Every once in a while, if I am feeling that cocky, I suppose that's the <laughs> I don't think, I mean... Uh, I think this is probably true of anybody who's in entertainment. I don't walk around in a bubble, you know, all day going, yeah, I am a voice in the park. Um, I'm sure for the first few months that was definitely yeah. an yeah. ongoing mantra. But um, And I remember having the thought, it's <laughs> so gruesome um, to have this thought, but I remember thinking, well, if I never live another day and I never do it, it's so like Scarlett O'Hare, and I never do another thing, at least... I will be permanently entombed in the Haunted Mansion. <laughs> Very realistic. Yes, but yes. um uh and and kind of cute. But it's it's certainly um you know awe inspiring to me because I had so little to, to do with it. It's not like the rest of truthfully, like the rest of the entertainment industry, there's no clear cut path to anything unless you're lucky enough to be born into a family you know, where there's direct connections. Um, you know, I think that's fair to say if you're lucky enough to be born into a, a family that's already well established, mm -hmm. at least there's a path to follow and connections already there and people do explain it to you and really support you in it and, and, you know, hook you up, hopefully if they're loving family. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But to 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 the rest of us who kind of just came from the outside and are trying to figure it out as we go along every day, every day, every day, you don't have a lot of say in what you end up in for a lot of things, unless of course you produce your own one one person show or or whatever. But um, which a lot of people have done, which kudos to them, you know, leads to bigger platforms and opportunities. So, I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm I'm proud of it. In that it's so cool, pinch me, I can't believe I'm the lucky person mm -hmm. that got picked. But I, I can't have a sense of pride about it, about other things where it was all up to me. I was mm -hmm. lucky that the casting person, you know, reached out to me and thought I was the right voice to move on to the producers. I was happy, lucky in that the producers felt that this was the right sound for the... Um, so I don't know if that answers your question. So I... It's amazing, but maybe out of some false sense of humility or, or modesty, maybe I just don't, I try not to think about it too much because it's so easy to get caught. I think it's very easy to get caught up in what one has already done. And I, I try to always be thinking about what else is out there that I can learn to do or get better at or what other opportunities out there to sort of conquer. That makes sense. That totally. Honest? Yeah, totally. It's an answer. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was. And Can we switch, we stop, hit pause, and re-record it, and we just <laughs> say, it's amazing, Tim. Yes, Tim. I think about it every night before I go to bed. That's what I want to hear right there. People, you know what? I'm, I'll bet part of what it probably is, is that lucky, luckily, it's a very popular attraction. Yeah. And luckily, people remind me of it all the time. So I think, in a sense, I'm very fortunate in that other people will graciously give me a little, you know, uh, happy, warm hug without them realizing it almost every day. Mm -hmm. It happens certainly every week. And 
And then I feel very gratified all over again that, yay, I get to actually say, thank you so much. I feel very fortunate. It's it's awesome. But on my own, I'm probably uh, guilty of that Woody Allen complex of, mm. you know, don't look at your past achievements. What what else is out there for me to try and yep. get better at? Exactly. But I must say, it's it's definitely my favorite attraction, attraction there. So and I'm, I'll be on it in a few days. I'm excited. But you're not going to be there, of course, because it's going to be the... Uh, Halloween, you know, Christmas version of it. You're going in a few days. Well, uh, January. So yeah, she won't. She won't turn over until around February 14th. These days is when mm. she tends to come okay. back. Which, right? You're you're going. This is first week of January, so yep. you're going. Um, yeah, it probably will. I, either that or it will be. I hate to say it, but it may be. Closed it may be closed. You're right. They do close. Yeah, I need to look that up. I don't know. I'm so sorry. <laughs> come back. Come back when she's back. No. I'm excited, though, regardless, because my, my girls, um, they've all gone before, but my five-year-old went when she was one, and so oh. she doesn't remember anything about the park at all. She was more scared of it back then. And oh, magical. Na- yeah, now she's five and a half, and she's going to adore everything now. That is so magical. I I always say that to people who who haven't been before. I said this to an adult who was from out of town. She was the fiance of a friend of mine. And I was setting them up for tickets. And she's like, I've heard so much about this. I hope it lives up to expectations. And I looked at her, I said, you've never been. Yep. And she said, no, I just live in that part of the country where we weren't close to either coast where it was a regular thing. And, you know, there's perfectly sane families who it's not their thing. And, you know, thank goodness everybody's everybody's got different passions and that's what makes it so great to live among the human race is you learn from different people with different backgrounds all the time. So my only response to her wasn't how could you have never been? It was more like, I am so jealous of the experience you're about to have. (laughs) I love it because I'm now the guy that people want to go with if they've never gone before. So I took my cousin for the first time. um, Let's see. I think it was about six months ago and she's uh, 25. So it's our first time. And she had an amazing, she was like a little kid riding from ride to ride. It was amazing. Oh yeah, it's great. Well, you'll have a great time. And the good thing is even if it's closed, there's so many other attractions open and there's hardly any lines because of course the whole holiday crowd is, is over. And I'm from, I live in Montana, so I'm used to cold weather. And when I went there last time around March, when it was a little colder, most of the rides didn't have any lines in it because they were freezing. All the California people were freezing. And yeah, because such wussies. Yeah. We're wussy cats. <laughs> and here I am, it was probably like 60 degrees out and I'm wearing shorts and a t-shirt. Oh yeah. Cause you, that you're, it's like summer weather. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> or you know, also when it rains. I mean, personally, I'm not a big fan of the park when it rains because I like it sunny and pretty. Yeah. Um, but man, it, it is a windfall <laughs> and a blessing because we, you know, you can guarantee that 90% of the Californians are just going to go, oh, I'm not going, it's raining. <laughs> but everything's still open. So then you just basically get to keep right, you're right, attraction hopping the whole day. Oh. There's no lines for anything. Amazing. Amazing. I want to talk a little bit about your work on ESPN as well. Are you still doing that, ESPN? Of course. Of course. Yeah. Okay. How did you get attached to that? Lucky. Cool Audition came through, and I'm really lucky because the show that I'm on, um, PTI, Pardon the Interruption, is, yep. mm-hmm. continues to be one of the most popular sports shows 
um, again, having nothing to do with me. It has to do with Mike Wilbon and T Tony Kornheiser and Eric Rideholm, who created the show and all the amazing people who work so hard on it. I, I had the rare opportunity of flying out to sit in the bullpen and spend the day on the set watching from beginning to end how a show evolves. And it was, eh, it, they could teach Hollywood a thing or two wow. about organization and getting things done <laughs> um, in the sports world, in the sports news world. <clears throat> Incredible. But um, I, I auditioned for it years ago, um, 2003 wow. was when the show I think kicked off. I Someone could probably Google, Google that and correct me, but uh -huh. I think it was around 2003. And it just went out as a as a general audition, uh, around, countrywide, you know, uh, I think both coasts. And they were looking for a non-traditional announcer for their billboards and sponsorships and rejoins and blah, blah, blah. And I'd never done a sponsorship in my life. I'd never, I was, I, I certainly wasn't new to voiceover, but I was just breaking into promos and, and announcering in that whole world. And I had proactively built a home studio. I didn't yet have ISDN or phone patch, but I did have, you know, I had gotten a MacBook and uh, and a microphone and was and a mix board and was learning how to do it all myself, which is probably the first time I'm in my life and the last time in my life I will be ahead of the curve on technology. <laughs> but I had heard somewhere that all the big greats in, in promos, which is something I was really fascinated with, all had home studios. And so I just kind of like thought, okay, I can figure that out mm -hmm. maybe. And then, you know, three years of crying to learn Pro Tools. But <laughs> It came out as an audition, and it was it was an interesting set of specs. It said something like, "She sounds like the girl who it, she sounds like the gal you hang out with, watch the games with, drink beer with, and maybe want to bang afterward." <laughs> wow! Something like that. It it <laughs> that isn't the exact wording, but it kind of implied she's the gal that you love to hang with. She's cool like the guys, but you know, also sexy and appealing and attractive, uh -huh. but not trying. It, it was supposed to sound like she just has that um, attitude. And speaking as a gal who doesn't watch football, who doesn't drink beer, and who would hardly call herself the magnet when she walks into the room, mm -hmm. I didn't know what to do with it. And I didn't know what that sounded like. So I remember the engineer who was helping, coaching me through the audition, laying it down, basically just said, just be you. Hmm. Just, you know, give it some sass. Don't try too hard. They don't want it to sound like an announcer. And I guess, thankfully, I was so new to it that I didn't really know what that sound would sound like anyway. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I was stunned when they wanted to try when I when I booked the first one and they wanted to do a live ISDN directing me. I, I really was amazed, thrilled. Um, I didn't know. I mean, the show was new, um, so nobody knew what it what a phenomenon the show would turn into, but. The two guys doing it were already huge rock stars of the sports world. They were two of the biggest and are still two of the biggest sports reporters in the world with the Washington Post. So they had tremendous reputations. And I was so ignorant as to what the company I was associated with, which probably was a good thing because all <laughs> I was focused on was doing a good voiceover audition and not, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. And they did a shout out to me, which is on YouTube. And yeah, I saw that on your website. That's amazing. Yeah, which was so sweet of them. Like, I, I think that was like eleven or twelve years. 
later from from booking the first one, and wow. they had fun making fun of me, but because <laughs> uh, I deliver the line in a certain way, and and I've I've had the dubious honor of seeing auditions come through where I'm auditioning, where it says we're looking for the gal who sounds like the PTI gal. <laughs> <laughs> And you feel like raising your hand going, um... No, that's me. <laughs> do you want to just maybe book me? Because that would be me. And then you don't book it and you're like, I guess I didn't do myself well enough. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. I didn't match myself well enough. <laughs> so you said back then you weren't a big football fan. What about now? Do you watch now? Now I have a huge respect for it. Mm -hmm. um, and that happened for a few reasons. One is, <laughs> I began to be asked that exact question, and I started to realize that it was sounding really bad um, and ungrateful to not have any idea. Now, PTI, by the way, is not about football. Per it's about all sports. Yep. It covers. Yep. Kind of like, uh, I used to say, it's kind of like, what was that show? Robert Niebert? No. Oh, Ebert. yeah, even Robert, yeah. Yeah, where they literally just, you know, go down the list of, hot topics in sports and it could be any sport. Um, but then when I got the NFL draft, when, when I got sort of handpicked to do that and be the live announcer for that in 2010, that's when it started to become clear that I better figure out fast how to start watching and understanding yep. football. Yep. Because it didn't sound right to say, <laughs> you know, yes, it's such a huge honor. No, I don't watch it. And so the draft was the big kick in the pants to learn it because a, I had to, I had to say things out loud and I wanted to understand the context of what they meant. And then, um, and then I was naturally curious if the people who'd been a part of that draft, how their careers evolved. So then I started following it that way and thank God there was internet in 2010. Yep. Mm -hmm. So I was able to sort of track what was going on with the different people whose, whose names I had announced, you know, and Dominic and Sue and uh, a couple of other big, big folk. And then I started to do Gruden's QB Camp, which is a really cool sports center special that happens every year with John Gruden, who's a top coach. Yep. And from that, you know, started to learn more and more and more. So it just kind of evolved. And then also, somewhere around 2010, maybe a little bit, maybe predating it by a couple of years, I'd have to check the dates. But I became part of the Loop Group for Friday Night Lights, the movie. Oh. And Peter Berg, the director uh -huh. of that movie, insisted that anybody who was part of the Loop Group have read the book. We had to have read the book Friday Night Lights uh -huh. in order to be part of the Loop Group. And so we all ran out and got our copies if we you know, already didn't have it. I mean, maybe some of the guys had it, but I don't think many of the gals did. And so that was a fascinating awesome book that really teaches you a newfound respect and angle at it through the college sports lens. Mm -hmm. And that kind of, that human interest approach to it really kind of got me hooked. Um, growing up, it simply was just a bunch of men in various colors slamming into each other, trying to beat each other up. That's what it looked like to my <laughs> four-year-old brain. And there wasn't, a, um, there weren't a lot of sports fans in my family who were explaining it to me to teach me that love of it. Yeah. Um, cause I think, I think it's a truism that if you're born into a family that's passionately in love with football, you, that you take that on, that's the culture you're a part of. Right. Yeah. So, um, I didn't really have that. So it kind of took all these other events and then 
Last, the last part of it is that uh, that show on HBO. I love HBO. I'm an HBO addict. Um, and that show, oh my God, what is it called? <laughs> Not knocked up. Hard knock. Hard knocks. Hard knocks. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Knocked up. <laughs> <laughs> That's a different show. I'm tired. It's been a long year. <laughs> um, <laughs> Hard knocks had the backstory. They were following the Texans mm-hmm. season. And I just fell in love with the players. I just, something about the heart, you know, Texans are, are passionate anyway. They're down home and passionate. And, you know, there was just something about the whole culture of it. And J.J. Watt, who, of course, is a, a rock star beyond rock stars. Oh, yeah. And all of it just kind of, I, I finally got the romance of it. It took, you know, <laughs> 40 years but I finally got the romance of football. So now I watch a game and I get it and I'm, you know, invested in what goes on. But it took a, it was a long road. It's funny because I watch football almost every week here at home and my little 5-year-old girl will come in during a game and she'll be like, "Daddy, which team is our team?" Cuz she <laughs> wants me to pick which team that we're rooting for so she can root for the same team I'm rooting for. Yeah. That's kids. I mean, that's exactly right, you know. You admire your daddy, you admire your parents, so you want to emulate them yep. so you naturally take on what what they are doing or what they love so Kat what's what's coming up for you do you have anything you wanted to talk about coming up like any uh conventions or upcoming work um well I have my very first con well my first con of this new generation of cons because I I have done d23 sorry I did d23 mm-hmm. by invitation of Disney um I've done uh, I did one Comic Con back uh, before it was what it's become. Back when Cartoon Network, you know, we they invited the cast of Dexter's Laboratory down, and we did some stuff. But um, this will be the first time I've finally joined the human race on going to cons for fan interaction, because I kind of am still I still feel this way. I'm old school. I don't think that fans should be charged. I shouldn't say that out loud, but I don't think that they should be. And it's weird to me. You're not um, the only one that said that. Actually, when I was at the uh, Stanley Comic Con just a couple months ago, or a few months ago now, um, Rusi Taylor was there, and she did not want a booth because she would not charge anybody for an autograph. Yeah, I, I totally. I mean, she's one of my heroes. I'm. I. It's just weird, and I get. You know, the other side. I've got a wonderful. You know, got some managers who are great, and this is what they do. And of course, they believe. Yep. That, yep. <laughs> That's why they do what they do, that, that there should be a charge. But the way they keep explaining it is, well, this is, you know, fans want this. If they get an opportunity that they wouldn't have otherwise and they can make it happen and they get it's, it's exciting for them, they put away for it. And, but there's still a part of me that's like, I don't want to charge for someone to take a picture with me. Yeah, that's I odd. I, I agree because I can see doing it for free, at least the picture, because I don't know. As, I, as a fan, too, I, that's a little absurd that people charge 10 to 25 bucks for a picture. Not that one human being is any more valuable than another, right? Because we, who knows what our purpose is on this earth and what we're supposed to be, how we're helping evolve human betterness or the human being next to us's lives. I just said that really awkwardly, but hopefully you get the gist. But I can understand where I'm going with this is I can understand maybe, maybe charging for getting to stand next to Harrison Ford and take a picture with him. <laughs> okay, okay, I can, I can see <laughs> that. Such, I mean, come on, he's like he's the embodiment of everything that's just like cool and amazing and movie starish and 
and and his time is probably so valuable after years and years and years of this stuff but for me i mean or any you know it's like we're just all human beings we mm -hmm. all poop we all eat we all breathe the same air hopefully depending on the state i suppose it could be dirtier or cleaner mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but it just yeah and again, I probably shouldn't be saying that out loud, but I, it's, it's why it's taken me so long because people have asked me in podcasts, so which cons are you doing? And my mm -hmm. agents kept saying, you know, are you doing the cons yet? And I was like, no. <laughs> and it wasn't because I didn't want to meet fans or interact with people. It's just it felt, it felt kind of like maybe this is a phase that will go away and maybe we'll just start not charging. I don't know. Yeah, who knows? I, I just started going myself to, I started with D23, let's see, about three and a half years ago. And uh, I, I love it. I love going to cons. So I think you're going to, I think you'd have a good time meeting those fans out there. Well, the good news is this one, this little baby, it's not a baby one, but it's it's sort of a lower key, more personable. Um, it's in Los Angeles at, at the beautiful loft in downtown, which is a gorgeous space. It's kind of like a mini convention center but really beautiful with a lot of natural light, very artsy. And um, that's what it was designed for, was for natural lighting for art exhibits. So I've been told it's more personable. It's it's a smaller scale. Good. I won't have to travel yet to another state. I did just get booked for MouseCon also next year, but that's not, that's not for a while. Okay. But this one, which is coming up this weekend in January, uh, first weekend of January, they do four of these a year. And I did get the answer to the question, why are we doing it this weekend, right after everybody's back from the holidays. Okay, what, yeah, what is that? Um, because the the creator, the, the promoter who owns it, there's certain people he really likes to get from the sci-fi world, and so he has to work around their shoot ah, schedules. That makes sense, okay. Yeah, so he locks in these dates ahead of time knowing that it will probably be safe from their TV show commitments and other things when he can get them basically. Mm -hmm. So, wow. um, anyway, so that'll be the, the LA sci-fi comic book convention in downtown LA. And I think the pricing's pretty reasonable. And, um, the good news is there's not a lot of other con or sports activity that first weekend of January. Maybe there's, there may be a football game happening in LA. I don't know. I haven't checked that yet, but, Certainly, you know, everybody's kind of coming back from the holidays, so at least it will be a lot less insane. And it's very sweet. I think I'm going to have a booth next to or very close to um, one of the gals who's one of the princesses from Frozen. Oh, nice. That'll be fun. Uh, Eva Bella. She's one of the two little girls. Okay. I can't remember if she's on or Elsa, um, but she's... Elsa. Yeah. There you go. That's and so, so cool. That'll be fun. <laughs> Um, she's already sent out a couple of tweets that she's excited to meet me because she's a fan. <laughs> Jesse, that's the so and a couple of other things. So, so at least that's nice. And I'm, and I'll learn. I'll, I'll start getting my training wheels on about what, what that whole thing is like. Nice. And hopefully I can meet up with you at some kind of convention coming up. That'd be amazing. Yeah. Well, they're starting, we're starting to, to book them. So we'll see. Yeah. And if anybody has any suggestions of ones, because um, but my managers have said, you know, there's so many these days, it's good to hear from them from the fans as well. You know, mm -hmm. what's what's out there yep. and what's starting to grow. And um, I know I'm probably, well, I know I'm not yet at the level 
given what Comic-Con has become, I'm not yet at that level where I'm probably going to be doing that this year. But definitely there's a lot of, of really great ones. And the, the more Disney theme ones and the animation ones and the video game ones, I think are going to be sort of the focus for the first year or so. I can definitely see you doing the Stanley LA Comic-Con. Yeah, maybe because of my Gotham stories and uh, Arkham Knights. Yeah, yeah. Action. Um, DC Spider-Man. I did some Spider-Man stuff. They, they like to make sure that it's interesting. They want to make sure that what they can put on their advertisement for you is directly relevant to their to their gist, which is why it's kind of funny. The Sorry, I'm blanking on the L.A. sci-fi comic one. The main thing that they're pushing on that is Dexter's Laboratory. But I do have credits in the sci-fi world that I think are far more sci-fi-ish. Yeah, like Babylon 5, of course. Uh, well, not that. That's like from a gazillion years ago. <laughs> um, I'm old, I know. But I mean, just like all the all the video games and Master of Orion and Mass Effect and, and Andromeda and World of Warcraft. You know, I would think all of those would mm -hmm. be more in the sci more relevant to that. But for some reason, hmm. yeah, I don't know. It's and looking but, at, the, at the prices are amazing. Like you said, right here on the website, thirteen dollars for admission. Yeah. Wow. I'm sure parking will cost you another. It's downtown LA, so uh, I'm, yeah. I'm guessing. Unless you take the, uh, not the Uber, the Metro, unless you take the Metro, you probably are going to be parking, spending about 30, 40 bucks. But yeah, I mean, compared to obviously the bigger con, that's why it's kind of nice. It's kind of like, it'll be a nice soft experience, not quite as insane mm -hmm. and overwhelming. Yep. I, I think he saw the terror in my eyes when he was describing some of the cons <laughs> that he was pitching before. I was like, oh my God, just, I don't. I get nervous going to, I went to WonderCon. I was invited down to WonderCon because there was an artist who was a big Haunted Mansion fan. And he said, come on down. I've got a booth. I'll sign some stuff for you. It'd be great to meet you. So I went down with my social media manager. And even that, it, that's not nearly the scope of Comic-Con. And I was just mm -hmm. like terrified the whole time. I was like, oh my God, there's so many people here. Yep. I'm the same way. And all the crazy outfits. I, I couldn't get over how this makes me sound like such a Disney Pollyanna, and I know it, but I couldn't get over how gory some of them were. Mm -hmm. And there was there was a group of kids who were doing a Disney horror mash. Disney hmm. characters meets like a uh, American Horror Story, and it was d deeply disturbing. Wow, to say the least. It was like you know Snow White with her eyes gnawed out, yes, hanging yeah. off of, and. I was like, I just kept saying to my social media manager, why? Yeah. <laughs> why? <laughs> I don't understand. Yep. And he's like, because they can, because that's, that's what they do, that they get creative. And I'm like, oh, why do you want to mutilate snow? It's so sad. Yeah. But they, they're really into it. So, yay. <laughs> I, hope, I hope that person doesn't come up and shake my hand. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be scared. Oh, man. Yeah, it sounds amazing. So everybody check it out. It is this coming Saturday the 7th. Yes. I shall be there. Oh. Along, so. with, along with lovely, did you say it was Elsa? Yep, young Elsa. Little Elsa. And, and there's some really big, like I said, those big sci-fi stars that he's working around who are sort of the main, 
the main attraction, those those lead actors who are in some ma- The Walking Dead and a couple of other huge credits. Yeah, no, I, I would definitely go if I was local. You still have to come now. I, you're only, I know. You're I know. one time phone away, Tim. I'm all, yeah, that's true. It's, it's like a 24-hour drive. It's not that bad. Right. Uh, real quick before we go, where can people okay. follow you on Twitter? Oh, my gosh. I would love it if they – I'm a big Disney ho, as you know, and big into Disney trivia. So if you're into Disney at all or Disneyland or parks or Disney history, definitely Cat Cressida. And it's the same Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, although my Facebook wall has a dot, cat.cressida. Got it. And um, and I'm very engagey. If you say something to me that's halfway understandable <laughs> and at all relevant to what is being posted or, or, or not, you know, even if you have a question, I do try to be very responsive because I know what it's like to not get a response once you've taken the time to reach out to somebody. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that would be great. Make sure that you say, you know, say Tim sent you and I'll be sure to yes. give you extra love. Oh, thanks, Kat. Thank you so much for your time. This has been amazing. I love chatting with you, Kat. <laughs> Thank you, Tim. Thanks for listening to Saturday Morning Rewind. Please check them out on Facebook and Twitter. And that's all, folks.